Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together, talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a cab driver from Juarez. And I am Dirty Dick Shaner. Welcome to episode 201, Slamboree 1996. What goes up must come down hard. Keep, keep your dirty dick soft. Yeah. At least for the next hour and a half. Something tells me that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Heard. So this was the fourth annual Slamboree produced by the WCW. It would take place on May 19th, 1996 from the Riverside Centroplex in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with an attendance of 7,791 people. That's a pretty good crowd for, a, for this kind of show. Yeah, yeah. I guess, bad. I mean, I'm sure with... I mean, Louisiana was a big, us being in Oklahoma, big mid-south. Yeah. It was like, yeah, Louisiana. Louisiana was a big it was, mid-south it's, area. It's, yeah, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. Is that it? Yeah. That's like the... It's a little bit of Texas as well. Yeah, there. a little bit. But yeah, like Superdome, JYD, like there's a gold in them swamps. That's right. As far as like there's a, you know, this was a big wrestling state in the territory days so you know maybe they're still interested because i don't feel like they've probably gotten many shows they don't get too many no not i wouldn't imagine they would yeah almost almost eight thousand for a a hogan free show is not bad pretty dang good slambory but we are in louisiana that we are so what deliciousness did shane bring us this week well, so I did what I do, and got on the interwebs, and searched around for... We've only been to Louisiana a couple times, so we haven't had a whole lot from there yet. So many options. Yes. Delicious, salty options. We, we've had their official cocktail already, but I searched around and discovered that the official sandwich of Louisiana is the... Depending on where you're from... You pronounce it differently. Google says muffaletta, and then there's also one that says people in Louisiana in certain areas call it a mufuletta. Um, that sounded the same. Foo, Long you, muffa, short long, you. A muffaletta? Muffaletta, muffaletta, whatever. I don't know, I'm fun. It's a, uh, a sandwich that originally comes from uh, Italy. It's uh, or I, I don't even know if it comes from Italy. It's a, in a it's an Italian style sandwich, anyways. Typically, it has some sort of porkish meats on there: ham, capicola, prosciutto, salami. In this case, I uh, searched around for a few different options and only found one that was available today. So we went with Jason's Deli. This one has ham, salami provolone and then it has an olive mix on here which is basically just an olive relish just extremely diced up olives it looks like an assortment of a few different kinds 
Uh, one of the recipes that I found says that in a lot of the olive relish stuff that they put on it. Tapenade, right? Kind of tapenadish. It has that giardinia or whatever the hell, however you pronounce it, the, the pickled pepper. The or Italian, pickled veggies. Beef, Italian beef pepper mix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That all diced up in there, which I think this one could have used a little of. It's missing just well, but maybe some, some spice. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, flavor-wise, it's it's good. If you're an olive fan, you'll you'll really dig it because they put quite a bit on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was missing just some sort of a, a spice or a zing or something like that. Yeah, maybe like a you know more maybe like a clamata olive in there or something like that. Because yeah. even the olive flavor is pretty muted considering how many olives are. I mean, honestly, even a little like red wine vinaigrette, something like mm-hmm. that, just to give it some some zing, some not, pop. Not bad. But how is this? How is it not? Just the po' boy for the state sandwich. It's a good question. That is. Just asking. That I don't know. All right. Um, maybe it's like California where they have two, and this is just the one that popped up. Yeah, this is the Baton Rouge one, and then the uh, New I know Orleans one is the, the po' boy. Yeah, no, I just happened to look at a different list. Let me see here. This yeah. week on Googling in Air. What do you know about state sandwich? It's an Italian sandwich invented in New Orleans. I got it wrong. I looked it up, and po' boys are the signature sandwich of New Orleans. But for Louisiana itself, it's the muffaletta, muffaletta, muffalata, however the hell you pronounce it. Pretty damn tasty, though. Meats, oh. cheese, olives. It just needs that kick of spice or some, some sort of zing. Maybe some gator. Might be down for that. I don't know. I'm just thinking of Louisiana, so. For some hot yeah. sauce. Took my bite. Pretty damn tasty. Well, something that would come out around the same time as Slamboree 96, actually the next week, we would all be asked if we would accept the mission at the theaters. Oh. And if it was impossible enough for us to get there. Damn, that's 96? Mission yeah. In, the original Mission Impossible. It would actually bring in over $450 million worldwide. Huge. Making it the third highest grossing film of the year. Right behind and Twister, last, eh? Last week we talked about Twister, the second. So what was the first? Or have we already discussed Damn, it? Damn, Twister made more than Mission Impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Independence Day was... Ah, oh, that's right. That you was know what's 96. funny is like the... Um, you know nowadays like movies like basically immediately get put on DVD or streaming to rent or whatever? Well, back, back in the day it seemed like there would be like a year and a half before someone would come out on VHS... It was. So, it was literally 18 months usually. Yeah, so like I didn't see Mission Impossible in the theaters so in my head there's it's like no way that came out in 96 it had obviously huge legs on tape as well brian de palma i'm a big brian de palma fan mission impossible this movie is absolute nonsense but goddamn is it fun yes yes fucking knockless first one i loved the second one is terrible the third one's a little better better and then it gets fun and then the fourth one is probably the best of the series is that the Brad Bird one? Yes. Okay, yeah, and then it just gets fun from there, where it's like, oh, these are the movies where Tom Cruise does crazy stuff. Basically, after that, it's Chris McQuarrie. Yeah. It's and crazy how bad 2 is, though. Yeah. Except for Sandgun. I love two, Sandgun. 2 stopped me from watching any of the other ones yeah. since then. They're totally worth picking back up, because honestly, the, they get better than the first one quickly. Because the first one is just, like, cool for the time, but you they get fun as hell. Well. Like, just skip to... Ghost four. Protocol. Yeah, just go to straight to four. You don't even watch three. It's yeah, it's Brad Bird. He's great. He climbs the high, the biggest building in the world. Yeah, the Dubai one. Arabia. Broke his ankle or, doing yeah, this. Dubai. I think it's Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. But Dubai's in Saudi. Is Dubai in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. We're gonna sound dumb as hell. Uh, yeah, but 
That's uh, where they have. Yeah. That's where they have the super showdown. But yeah, there's a yeah. Emilio Estevez. Crown spoilers. Jewel. Crown Jewel. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> Emilio Estevez gets like uh, murdered at the beginning of the movie, which is always a pretty big shock at the time when you saw it because you're like, oh, I know who that guy is. That's Mighty Ducks. I mean, come on, guys. Ninety six. <laughs> and, and a huge franchise. It's been going on for fucking yeah. twenty years. But the, um, yeah, the return of John Voight. Yes. Absolutely, but um, he couldn't let his daughter have too much fame without him in the shadows. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan. There's a scene where he's on a laptop and he makes this look on his face and like says something to the computer. And I have this memory of rewatching that movie on like VHS when there was DVDs out, just like Stoner Friends House, like 2007 or eight. And we were around it like a million times. Just like, ooh. He does like just some amazingly perfect fucking thing. And every time I think of that movie, I'm like, I don't know exactly what it was. But it killed us. And Michael Hart Duncan might be in more of the movies than anybody else that's not. Yeah, he's the only other original movie character that's in the later ones. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Their relationship is kind of fun throughout the series. Yeah. But yeah, Mission Impossible rules. Of course, everyone remembers the the titular scene from the first one, where he hangs above the desk. Hangs above the desk. Yep, he puts. Um, it's been mimicked. It's not millions yeah, of times over yeah. since. Then. Honestly, that was the one that got the most amount of like parody until yeah. until the Matrix came out. Essentially, as far as action movies, just yep. being like, you know. Everyone's like, yeah, we love this movie, but we're parodying it because it's such a huge movie that everybody's seen and, and likes. And I mean, but he puts, oh, he puts Visine in the coffee to make the guy shit himself, which is funny. Giving people diarrhea is funny. And I didn't know Visine would give you diarrhea. If you didn't know then, you knew years yeah. later when you watched uh, Wedding Crashers. Oh, I saw that in the theater and I hated it. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> Old Bradley Cooper. But maybe it's good. I don't know. I didn't like it. At the time. Yeah. At the time. They had its moments. Yeah, I have a problem with Vince Vaughn. That's understandable. Except for more recently, I've liked him. In I liked him in the WWF movie. I loved him in Brawl and Cell Block 99. The WWF movie. Fighting for my family. Yeah. Oh, and, then, uh, and then I loved him in Dragged Across Concrete. So as soon as he starts doing like right-wing work, for some reason I enjoy him, even though I don't necessarily feel the same way. And see, I like uh, <laughs> I like a lot of his earlier stuff, obviously. Yeah. Swingers. We I, got was, I was a fan of the Psycho There's movie. 15 matches. I'm <laughs> sorry I brought up Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I was a fan of Psycho and Clay Pigeons. <laughs> yeah. I should watch the remake of Psycho just because. No, you shouldn't. Really? I mean, just I love the original, obviously, but I mean, I'm interested. Rewatch, shot for re- shot. rewatch the original. But it's in- an interesting it's idea. It's not shot for shot. It's no. close. Because they add a scene where he's masturbating watching her. But as that, not in the original but that's, movie. I mean, yeah, they definitely couldn't do that even if Hitchcock wanted to, which, you know. He you gotta didn't. have your original thing that way. Everybody doesn't call you, you know, a well, full Well, I mean, it's, it's Gus Van Zandt. But He's every a freak anyway. <laughs> is exactly the same. They just inserted the one shot. Yeah. But that's on I'm, purpose. I'm on a roll these last three yeah. weeks of having issues with one thing. Yeah, I mean, but, like, that's on purpose because it's Gus Van Zandt, and that's who he is. He's that guy. He's a little troll boy. Plus, about the fact plus, that Anne Heche was in it, that could have totally been your Anthony Perkins, issue. Vince Vaughn, completely different style actors. Mm-hmm. Like, Vince Vaughn was way too old for that role when he took it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen him. Anthony Perkins. It it needed to be a young 20-something-year-old naive kid. 
You know what? That's what it needed to be and Zach not Efron. Vince Vaughn. Here's my controversial, I don't know if it's controversial, but Psycho take. Psycho 2, not bad considering. Psycho 3, wild. Psycho 4, made for Showtime. But I watched that one more very, than any of them. Very bizarre. <laughs> uh, Anthony Perkins is in all of them, and I believe that he directed 3, which has like weird Italian Jallo vibes. All of, honestly, a better horror series than you would assume and uh two way better than it has any reason to be it's obviously not psycho but it's a solid 80s horror movie give me hitchcock or give me death <laughs> hey hitchcock made bad movies too. in the psychos <laughs> yeah yeah but i'm saying if they're they're a good time and they're none of them are over long well, let's get slamboree as we get the logo and footage of what seems to be an underground fighting ring, the narrator tells us about the Lethal Lottery. And I went, fuck. Where the winners advance to an eight-man battle royal to determine the Lord of the Ring. The Lord of the Ring, huh? The one Steve, ring. Yeah, the Lord Stephen Regal of the Ring. Yes. It's their version of King of the Ring, guys. Yeah, I know. Uh, we know what it yeah, is. But at least they only have one ring and not three. Three titles will be on the line tonight before Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show along with Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan who join him for commentary. Cruiserweight title. First time? Yes. I'm thinking, yeah. They preview the matches of the night before we head to our first match. Road Warrior Animal and Booker T versus Road Warrior Hawk and Lex Luger. Lethal Lottery round one. Lex looks fresh from the bleaching hair chair. Tony says the teams were drawn at random, but as we go through the night, we will see how random uh, it was. Totes random. So Hawk goes right after Booker, but the ref separates them, leaving Animal and Lex in the ring to trade strikes in a corner before Luger delivers a power slam. We got a Luger chance. Well, Animal and Hawk had to, you know, stay side by side in their corners to start the match, even though they're on opposing teams. It's a matter of respect. Mm -hmm. Probably thought he was all the way over there. You see, four of them, anyways. Aww. Animal takes control (laughs) in the corner with headbutts to the gut, a clothesline, and a power slam of his own. Follows up with a leaping shoulder tackle, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Lex to hit a vertical suplex only for Animal to no-sell and drop-kick Luger. Booker T demands a tag, then shoves Animal away before nailing an arm-wrench hook-kick to Lex. Booker keeps up the attack in the corner when he runs into a big boot, allowing Luger to charge out with a clothesline to gain the advantage. Body slammed by Lex, but he misses an elbow, allowing Booker T to go for an elbow drop, only for Luger to avoid. So Booker spin a Rooney's up and hits a leg lariat. I love the leg lariat. I love the spin a Rooney. I love the axe combo too. Yeah, I mean I I like Booker T. Booker T starts wearing Lex down with a headlock, which Luger escapes with elbows, only for Booker to recover with an axe kick. He makes a cover, but Hawk runs in to make the save. Lex gets back to his feet and he shoves Hawk, so the partners begin to brawl with Animal and Booker T getting involved as well. And all four men spill out to the floor, where the ref counts out both teams. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Post and move. we're off. 
Post-match, the Road Warriors celebrate in the ring while Booker's yelling at the camera that they cheated and it's not over by a long shot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess just if we can get it over with. And this would be the last time that Road Warrior Hawk would ever be in a WCW ring. It was maybe not his worst outing. Nah, not his worst, but not exactly his not, best. I mean, obviously not his best. His best was what? Like he at least got to throw a couple punches, 88. I guess. <laughs> Probably around that time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, being on top to like 10,000 people. When him no-selling things was cool. <laughs> yeah. So we go to our second match. Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. Totally random. Versus the Taskmaster and Chris Benoit with Jimmy Hart. Totally random. In a lethal lottery match. So the last time we saw Public Enemy was at Super Brawl 6, episode 189. And Benoit at Starcade 95, episode 177. Been a while since he's been on a PPV. Well, but... So Rocco and Benoit slap each other before Rock surprises with a head scissors and a hurricanrana. He starts to stomp on Chris only to trip himself in the process. A little dipsy do. Yeah. Rocco goes for another rana only for Benoit to reverse into a powerbomb. He then mocks Rock's dancing before tagging in Sullivan where the match immediately becomes a brawl around ringside. The Taskmaster throws Rocco into a guardrail, hits him with a chair, and sends Rock into the ring post. Posted. But Rocco recovers to toss Sullivan into the post as well. Posted. Rock places the Taskmaster on a table, while Chris and Grunge continue to brawl on the other side of the ring. And Rocco heads back into the ring to get a running start, only for Benoit to clothesline him out of nowhere to save Sullivan. Rock is rolled out to the apron with Chris trying to bring him back into the ring the hard way, only for it to be reversed, sending Benoit over into the concrete. I mean, damn. Yep. Taskmaster's throwing chairs at Johnny while Rocco sets Chris on the table, before helping Grunge with Sullivan to set him on the table as well. Literally just looks like Taskmaster's holding Benoit down. Yeah, I kind of thought he was. Rock and Grunge then head to the ring for a big pop-up. Basically, Rocco does a somersault senton onto Johnny, and they both fall backwards onto Chris through the table as Sullivan is moved. Um, it's that's a, uh, nasty. That's a whole lot of dudes on top of Chris there. The Taskmaster limps away, claiming he has injured his leg. So he and Jimmy Hart start walking to the back as Benoit is rolled into the ring, allowing Rocco to make a cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And post-match, Sullivan acts like he's concerned about Chris, saying we have to go back. But there's no real effort to do so. No, he's selling his leg, and uh, you know Jimmy Hart helps him to the back. I didn't even catch the fact that he acted like he cared. Jimmy drags him to the back. Because <laughs> he wants to turn around and help Chris so bad. So we go to our third match. This is all still Battle Bowl Round 1, if uh, you didn't know. Yep. Sergeant Craig Pittman and Scott Steiner with Teddy Long versus the Booty Man and Rick Steiner with the Booty Babe in that lethal lottery match. Kimberly. So the last time we saw Pittman was at World War III, 95, episode 173. And Teddy Long, the last time we saw him, was at Starcade 93. That's insane. Episode 107. Wait, who? 
Teddy. Teddy Long. Damn, I guess it has been that long. He's, he's Pittman's manager now. Yeah. Oh, welcome back, Tedward. Remember when he had that Hulk Hogan drape? Oh, yeah. Now he's all thick and slick. Thick and slick. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> so the Booty Man tries some mat wrestling with Pittman to start with no one gaining an advantage. So Sarge tags in Scott, who gets caught with a knee lift. But after a telegraphed back body drop, Steiner delivers a tiger bomb. Scott and Booty Man both tag out, giving us Pittman giving crazy eyes towards Rick before they trade suplexes and Steiner lights. They bark and <laughs> at each other, yeah. Man, you know, I'm, I'm here for Rick Steiner every day of the week. Bobby Heenan has a wonderful quip here. It's like, funny thing is, the Steiners don't even know who the other guys are. <laughs> It's possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They definitely probably don't know who the fuck Craig Pittman is. They probably unfortunately know who Booty Man is underneath all those tassels. Sarge tags Scott, and we have the Steiners facing each other. Thank God. Where they do some amateur wrestling and hard clotheslines before trading full Nelsons until Rick nails a dragon suplex. I love that Rick pulls pulls off the first one. Rick heads up top only for Scott to meet him there hitting a T-bone superplex. But Rick immediately makes the tag to Booty Man. Scott's tossed to the corner, but avoids a charging Booty Man, sending him shoulder-first into the ring post, Posted. allowing Pittman to return and lock on the Code Red. An armbar. But Booty Man makes it to the corner for the... Hot tag. So Rick comes in and delivers a bridging German suplex on Sarge. For the pin. And, and the win. win. Uh, cool. I mean, they're getting a little bit better. The finishes typically make sense. So it's already better Lethal Lottery than previously the Lottery. Absolutely. But that's not hard to be better than. No. Because that show might be my bunkhouse stampede. I just wish we could have had Rick and Scott wrestling each other just a little more. Cause yeah. That part I really enjoyed. So we go to our fourth match. The Blue Bloods of Lord Stephen Regal and Squire David Taylor with G's. Jives. <laughs> Sorry, it's what Dusty says. Uh, okay, I'm like, what? Chives. <laughs> so funny. Versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street. And the last time we saw Hacksaw and VK was at World War III, 95, episode 173. And Tony tells us that Duggan and Wall Street are arch enemies. Mm. They've been having a feud that has basically been running on WCW Saturday night. Oh. Hey, you're not Vince. <laughs> Vincent Kennedy, Wall Street. It's funny as they predicted it. He probably would never, uh, you know, went public if uh, they didn't make fun of him once. <laughs> so the Squire also replaced the Belfast Bruiser in this match as he had legitimately gotten injured during the parking lot brawl. I mean, such a bummer because I would like to see them but there's no way that them on a tag team in this environment would be better than their little car match. Yeah. Their little hard-hitting car match. No way would it have been quote-unquote random. Hey, this is already better than doing true random. Yes. So, like, it I'm is, fine with that. I just... They can work. They can, they can attempt to work me. So Hacksaw and Lord Steven lock up to start, but they break cleanly, followed by Regal giving a bicep pose. 
where he pushes the muscle up to look at, make it look bigger. He used to do that. Duggan responds with starting a USA chant because that's all he knows how to do. He can stomp. He can USA. He can look like a bouncer. They lock up again in the corner with Lord Steven hitting a cheap shot, only for Hacksaw to come back with a hip toss before going to tag in VK, who refuses. And Duggan and Wall Street start arguing, allowing Regal to attack from behind. But Hacksaw responds with several clotheslines, followed by tagging in VK with a slap. And the Blue Bloods take turns working Wall Street's arm, Lord Steven with a European uppercut, only for VK to return the favor before turning to slap Duggan to bring him back in. And Regal takes advantage while Wall Street and Hacksaw argue again. But Lord Steven and Duggan bump into each other for a double KO. Taylor tags in while VK walks away from Hacksaw. So the Blue Bloods look to double team, only for Duggan to punch both of them away before turning to punch his own partner as well. Hacksaw then pushes the Squire into Regal for an accidental back body drop before taping up his fist in a very Popeye-like manner. It's very Popeye. While the ref is distracted by Wall Street being down. Duggan punches Taylor, makes the cover for the pin, and And the win. I mean, I do love when tag teams uh, are not getting along. I think that's fun, and I think it was done okay here. The problem is that I didn't care. But yeah, he's like trying to wrap the tape around his arm, so he starts swinging his arm, and it's doing that thing where the tape's long, so it's like, uh, like behind by like you know, it's half a second. by like a half a second of spinning, and it's like the tape's not gonna do anything because he's like winding up for like a dusty punch, but in a bigger fashion. They're not. It's uh, a very funny visual. So we go to our fifth match. Battle round one, part five. Dirty Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton with Colonel Parker and Jeeves versus Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. (gasps) Alex Wright found another man that respects the beat. The dance. So we haven't seen Alex since Starcade 95, episode 177, and Disco since World War III. 95, episode 173. This is the part on Battle Bowl where we dance. Dirty Dick backs Inferno into a corner with Disco telling him to watch the hair. Still got that coof. He fins off Slater's elbows and chops to tag in right, only for him to be taken right down as well. Alex reverses into an arm wrench, but they get too close to the corner, allowing Eaton to tag in to deliver rights and lefts before tossing right to the corner, only for him to leap up and over the charging Earl. Alex gets some uppercuts in, a hip toss, a drop kick, and a head scissors takedown before nailing a leaping leg lariat for a two count. Eaton then tags in Dirty Dick, coming right in with a neck breaker on right. He looks to hit a pile driver, only for Alex to reverse into a back body drop and makes a tag to Disco. And Inferno lives up to his name with right hands to everybody, a leaping forearm before the entire match breaks down into a brawl with all four men in the ring. Wright takes the Earl and himself out of the ring with a clothesline, while Disco hits a clothesline on Slater in the corner. Inferno decides to do some dancing, while Parker's on the apron distracting the ref, allowing Dirty Dick to use his boot to nail Disco making the cover 
for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And then at least the finishes make sense and they're not over long. So we go to our sixth match. Diamond, Dallas Page, and the Barbarian versus Humorous and me in another Lethal Lottery first round matchup. If you didn't say it, I had to. And Shivani tells us that DDP is back due to a benefactor. Because remember, he... He's poor. He was a he had a he he said he was done with wrestling yeah. after he lost his last match versus Booty Man. He was living on the streets. He lost six million dollars to the also to Booty Man mm-hmm. and the Booty Girl. He has new music. That's gotta cost you. It's the infamous "Smells Like Teen Spirit" cover. Uh, it's, du- it's dubbed over. Five. It's dubbed okay. over on the network. So, but is it like? But it's it's relatively. Like, you can tell that that's what they're going for, okay. even with the dub. So it's the same riff so as that Offspring song? It's a dub of a dub. Basically. Yeah, it's like yeah, because that Offspring song has the same riff. Self-Esteem, right? The self-Esteem? I don't know. I don't like the Offspring. But they have a, one of their popular singles off Smash is the same riff, too. So last time we saw Hugh was at World War Three ninety five, episode 177. You'll catch a running... Last time we seen a bunch of these people was that match because there was sixty of them in that. They need people. Ah, that's right. How did they get sixty people? Oh yeah, three rings. Ch- uh, not Chuck Norris, Charlie Norris. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. The the Yeti. Mm. So Paige uses hair pulling and eye pokes to gain the advantage on Morris, but Hughes shoulder blocks DDP out of the ring and attempts to follow out with a slingshot crossbody. Only for Paige to avoid. Back in the ring, DDP hits a discus lariat before the faces of fear both tag in to face each other. And they start trading chops, kicks, shoulder blocks, and clotheslines when the barbarian brings in Paige to suplex onto Ming. He then misses an elbow drop, allowing Ming to drop a headbutt and bring in Hugh. And the laughing man delivers a body slam and a top rope elbow drop. He goes up again, only for DDP to shake the ropes, causing Morris to crotch himself. The Barbarian capitalizes with a super belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count as Ming makes the save, before dropping the Barbarian with a body slam. Hugh then comes off the top rope with a moonsault for a near fall as Paige makes the save. And everybody begins to brawl at this point with the faces of fear, both nailing a big boot on an opponent. They make simultaneous pins, with the ref counting both for the pin and, and the win. win. Pee Wee Anderson then realizes that DDP's foot was under the ropes, so he awards the match to Barbarian and Page. A little fun little smalls. Yeah, a bit of slop. There's one ref, you know. So we go to our seventh match. Big Bubba Rogers and Stevie Ray versus Fire and Ice of Scott Norton and Ice Train. Ice Train. Once again, in a Lethal Lottery first round matchup. From what I hear, Big Bubba is uh, new to the Doom. He has joined the Dungeon of Doom since the last time we saw him at World War III, episode 177. Ditching the suspenders and dress clothes for leather pants and sleeveless shirts. You know what vibe he's got? Leather Daddy. No, I was going to say, uh, he's got like American badass vibes. Oh, that's, yeah. I am 
an American fat ass. Uh, <laughs> Big Bubba Rogers is definitely not that. I mean, no. I mean, that's like, I know Undertaker wanted to do something different, but it was lame because Kid Rock was lame then, as if he ever wasn't. Probably a good hang, probably a good drinking buddy, but his music stinks. I'll let somebody else drink with them. <laughs> I'd so entertain that, it. So the match gets going as Norton backs Stevie into a corner and growls at him before they trade slams and shoulder blocks. Followed by Scott hitting a hard clothesline, only for Stevie Ray to answer with boots to the face. Rogers tags in and does a windmill punch to Norton, a turnbuckle smash, an avalanche splash in the corner, and a spine buster for a two count. And this crowd is finally cold. They were pretty okay and interested in all the other matches, but Big Bubba is not enough as he is the most famous person in this tag team match. Yeah, I mean, you got Bubba, Stevie, and then two guys they probably never watched before. Yeah. So Big Bubba goes to run the ropes, only for Scott to catch and throw him up in the air for a face plant, followed by a clothesline before bringing in Ice Train, who body slams and butt splashes Rogers for a near fall. They then trade right hands before both hit clotheslines at the same time for a double KO, with Ice making it to his corner to bring Norton back in for another face plant. Stevie jumps in the ring to slow the momentum, but he's tossed to the apron allowing Big Bubba to recover to nail a big right hand. But Scott responds by whipping Rogers into Stevie Ray, which allows Fire and Ice to hit a double shoulder block for the pin and And the win. win. Moving on to our eighth match. Eddie Guerrero and the enforcer Arn Anderson versus Macho Man Randy Savage and the nature boy Ric Flair with Woman and Miss Elizabeth. In our last Lethal Rottery first round matchup. I mean, that is some some name, some name, some recognition. Eddie, obviously, not completely established, but, uh, you know, he's Eddie Guerrero. Well on his way. He's definitely on his way. So Nature's music hits, but he doesn't come out, and the commentators are worried something may have happened in the back. Savage then makes his way down to the ring followed by Flair's music coming on again. And you can kind of see off in the distance the Nature Boys peeking around the video screen when Double A attacks Macho from behind, bringing Nature running down to the ring, only for Eddie to pull Arn off Savage, but Flair starts stomping away on Macho. Now Guerrero and Nature begin to trade punches and chops while Woman and Liz make their way down to the ring. Are they doing the little creeping? They creep in. Eddie Dell's drop kicks, right hands, and a back body drop to send Flair to tag in Savage with an elbow to the head, while forcing Guerrero to tag in Anderson. The enforcer then goes right to work on Macho with stomps, chokes, eye rakes, and double axe handles, when Savage would rally with several big boots in the corner, only to walk right into a spine buster for a two count. Double A sends Macho into the corner, allowing the Nature Boy to tag back in, where he beats on Macho, while Arn brings Eddie back into the ring. And Guerrero pokes Nate in the eyes, hits some chops, a dropkick, and a tornado DDT, which allows Savage to attack Flair. And the fight between partners gives Anderson an opening to run in and drop Eddie with a DDT, for dragging Macho out to the floor 
and throwing him into a guardrail and a ring post. Post. Which allows the nature boy to crawl on top of Guerrero for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post match, the enforcer and Nate continue the attack on Savage, holding him up from Miss Elizabeth to slapping before Arn hits a DDT on the floor. Yikes. <laughs> Tony starts recapping the first round of the Lethal Lottery, says there will be another random drawing to determine the brackets for round two, about Flair and Macho having to team again, comparing it to the dream and the brain coexisting. Bobby then compares Rhodes to a leather recliner, before Shivani sends us to a commercial for the Great American Bash. Father's Day. We see Sting and the Steiners join a family's backyard barbecue where the stinger relaxes on a deck chair, and the family uses Rick as a post for a game of horseshoes. Great. While Scott is the grill master. Absolutely. And I hope the family likes their steaks medium rare, because he only cooks them to 141 and two-thirds. I'm lost on that. <laughs> you don't know Steiner math? Yeah, no, You've never no, seen the Steiner uh, math promo? I've seen the Steiner math promo, but uh, I'm, I'm just trying sure. to remember the 100. Yeah. He, that's what it gets to is 141 and two thirds percent. Okay. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm lost because it's been too long since I've seen it. It was an incredible, I, first I was incredible like, joke. Man. Did he say that on TV and I missed that? Because it doesn't ring a bell. He doesn't weigh 143 <laughs> and two thirds pounds. That's for sure. It's a pretty great commercial. I agree. I would love to go to the barbecue that involves Sting and the Steiners. And the Steiners, yeah. yeah. What a good time. Same. Back in the arena, we get Mean Gene in the aisle with some Hooters girls, assuring them he is looking at their name tags while he introduces them. Oh, Melissa. Yeah, they're going to open the envelope for the bye team. There's going to be a team that gets a bye. Oakland draws teams for the next round with the first team he chooses to receive a bye because of the double countout. And it's fire and ice, so they go directly to the battle bowl. I guess they're trying to get fire and ice over. They probably should. Mean Gene then chooses two more teams for a matchup, and we'll see Hacksaw Wall Street face Eaton Dick. Nice. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And we go to our ninth match. Brad Armstrong versus Dean Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. That sounds fun. But... Hmm. When did when did Malenko get the belt? So this is the first time seeing this belt. Okay. And as Tony explains, there was a tournament, tournament when Shinjiro Otani defeating Wild Pegasus in Japan to become the inaugural champion. Actually, that, that was the only match of the entire tournament. It did not, yeah. It's and it a, happened on that battle formation. But the match actually show. happened. It's not like the Intercontinental belt. Yeah, Pat Patterson totally won a uh-huh. tournament yeah. to become the first IC champ. Yeah, yeah. So on the day before this show on WCW Worldwide, Dean had defeated Otani, making him the new champion. Uh, I would love to see that match. Now, we haven't seen Brad since Slamboree 93, episode 90, when he replaced his father in a Legends match. Mm-hmm. That's a... Uh... Big gap there. Yeah. Also, a little fun note, Armstrong was the last WCW lightweight champion, the precursor to this title, but not the same lineage. So when was that? Pre-Wild Eyes It was Southern deactivated Boys? in September of 92. 
Okay, so it was post Wild Eyes Southern Boys. Yes, Pillman. Okay, it was Pillman and Armstrong, and Pillman beat awesome. Morton at Halloween Havoc of '91 to win the initial title, and then Liger won it and defended, and Pillman beat Liger at Super Bowl two. And then Scotty Flamingo beat Pillman at Beach Blast. And then Brad Armstrong won it on a house show. And then it was deactivated at the Clash of the Champions 20th anniversary Mm. because Brad Armstrong had the injury. I remember remember on that Clash of the Champions 20 show, because he was on the crutches and Pillman attacked him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why we don't remember it, because Brad Armstrong (laughs) lost it off of television or won it off of television and then it's like yeah we remember that angle but like nobody i remember him getting beat up in crutches yeah i don't remember that he ever had that title because he had to give it up that night yeah and then exactly they said they were going to have a tournament for it and then it just got deactivated Yeah, they're like ah moving on we also haven't seen malenko since the january 22nd 96 rendition of nitro which was episode 184 so it's been a a little bit since we've seen him as well. The two men start with Matt wrestling when Brad nails an enziguri and a dropkick to send Dean to the floor, where he regroups. Back at the ring, Malenko begins focusing on Armstrong's leg with kicks, smashing it across the post before using different holds, including an Indian deathlock. Dean continues the body slam and a pump knee drop across the leg, a shin breaker, and places Brad in a tree of woe to deliver a drop kick to the knee. Malenko picks Armstrong up for a slam, only for Brad to transition into a sunset flip for a two count, before Dean keeps up the attack with kicks and a stump puller. Malenko with another body slam, and he attempts another pump knee drop, only for Brad to get his boot up into Dean's chin. Armstrong then fires up with right hands, a power slam, and a missile drop kick before attempting to lock on the Texas Cloverleaf, which is Malenko's finisher. Bum, bum, bum. Which they actually say over commentary, which is nice considering the crowd is as cold as the ice water in the veins of the Malenko, to the point where they just kind of start talking about other things and point out this is the first WCW Spanish announce team. Pedro Morales and uh, a cab driver from Juarez. Malenko does reach the ropes to break that hold, and then he pulls Brad through those ropes to the floor, giving himself a moment to recover. So when Armstrong reaches the apron, Malenko tries for a turnbuckle smash, only for it to be blocked and reversed. Brad then heads up top, but Dean meets him there to gain the advantage, lifting Armstrong onto his shoulders and leaping off to hit a super gut buster for the pin and no win. That's a darling move. Yeah, it looks fucking sick as hell. And it gets a nice reaction. The crowd is like, kind of like, oh, okay, okay, but then the wrestling is very good. But then that last move is so impressive and uh, interesting that it gets a good reaction. And it's like, well, now they'll remember Dean Malenko, I guess. So if that was the goal... They got it, maybe? Hopefully? We'll find out at the next show, maybe. Good to see Armstrong back, though. After a, yeah, a few I years off. 
I, that was my surprise of the night, almost oh, probably. Old Bad Street back in action. We go to a black screen with snow falling, and the words, our world is about to change, come on the screen. We get a ruined portal opening to reveal a bright white light, and the words, blood runs cold, before a very Mortal Kombat looking logo, with the words, coming to WCW. The White Castle of Fear 2! <laughs> What can it be? We're back live in the arena with Mean Gene and the Hooter Girls. And he accuses them of switching name tags because he can't remember their names. But he opens by saying that it's three of his closest friends. Me and you, dog. He then draws some more teams for the second round of the Lethal Lottery. But Oakland seems more interested in beer wings and the girls than he is with those matches. I mean, can you blame the man? Yeah. I mean, nope. <laughs> so we go to our 10th match Dirty Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton with Colonel Parker versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street in a second round lethal lottery matchup had to happen eventually I love it's Earl Robert of Eaton I'm like come on just call him Earl Robert Eaton that's don't, what they do call him I, th- I swear they, they say they, Earl Robert of Eaton they don't ever say of really it's just Earl Robert Eaton am I that autistic I just heard yes. it every time they said it. I was like, there's, Earl Robert of Eaton? That makes no sense. There's one moment that I remember hearing Bobby say it in this Bobby, show. Bobby Bobby might say it. Yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, it might have been... I don't know if he says Earl Robert of Eaton, but he says Earl of Eaton at yeah. some point. And it probably bugged me so much that I can only hear it. <laughs> so Tony reminds us that the winner of the Battle Bowl will carry the Lord of the Ring title for a year. Hmm. There can only be one. At least WCW planned on making this their version of King of the Ring, but it doesn't happen, and neither does Battle Bowl ever again. Oh, man. And it's crazy, because this one is leaps and bounds better. But it's still not that good. But it's still not that good. <laughs> but it is still leaps and bounds better. You yeah. can't take that away from it. No, no. But you can't really give it You know what it's missing, either. though? It's missing a firebreaker chip. <sighs> <laughs> the, yeah, the... Um, Someone crawling to the ring just to get thing get knocked down and pinned. We yeah. Oh fuck. What's his name? No, that's Pittman. I was like, is there another Chip? I'd love there to be two guys with Chip in their name. <laughs> As the bell rings, Hacksaw and VK start brawling in their corner with Dirty Dick and Earl Robert just looking on. But eventually, they attack as well. They have to. Wall Street and Duggan team up to toss their opponents into each other before squaring off again with each other. But Hacksaw finally has some sense and just goes to leave the ring, only for VK to get a knee to the head. Eaton uses the distraction to attack Wall Street, allowing Slater to hit a Russian leg sweep and a back elbow. Earl Robert then attempts a turnbuckle smash, but he's blocked and reversed by VK before delivering a back body drop that sends Eaton out to the floor, where Duggan attacks and throws Earl Robert back into the ring. Wall Street then locks on an ab stretch, reaches his hand out for leverage with Hacksaw refusing, allowing Dirty Dick to run in and break it up. Duggan then runs in and nails some right hands to everybody, allowing VK to recover and tag Hacksaw in legally. Duggan then nails a turnbuckle smash and a clothesline on Slater for a two count. He applies a headlock to wear him down before the two collide with shoulder blocks to each other. Both men make tags, with Wall Street coming in with right hands to his opponents, sending Eaton to the wrong corner for a tag, 
so Hacksaw nails him with her right hand, descending back to VK. But Earl Robert rakes the eyes and body slams Wall Street before heading up top. VK meets him there, press slams him off to the mat, and backs Eaton into his corner. Goes to punch him, only for Earl Robert to avoid, causing Duggan to take the blow. Uh-oh. Hacksaw punches back, allowing Eaton to roll up Wall Street for the pin and the win. So Dirty Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton advance to the battle ball. I mean, I love that Eaton got the pin, and of course the two, you know, the two guys that are feuding lost. Post-match, VK and Duggan continue to fight, with Hacksaw chasing him down the aisle with his 2 by 4 And we go to our 11th match. The public enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus Macho Man Randy Savage. And the nature boy, Ric Flair, with woman and Miss Elizabeth in another second round lethal lottery match. There's some people that are public enemy fans down here. They got public enemy jerseys. I was like, damn, they got nothing the last couple times we saw them. But maybe these guys are, uh, you know, maybe they have cousins in Philly that send them tapes or something. So this time, Macho's music plays first, and he doesn't come out. When it switches to Nature's music, the ladies and Nature Boy walk out, throwing handfuls of money into the crowd. The commentators say the money is Savage's. When all of a sudden, Macho runs out and attacks Flair from behind in the aisle. Security, police officers, the American males, Craig Pittman, and Eddie Guerrero all try to help hold back Savage. And the ref ends up counting out Nate and Macho. So Public Enemy advances to the Battle Bowl. Yep. That's, uh, they sure did. Totally something that happened. Because, you know, they got counted out before they even made it into the ring to start the match. So, I mean, if you want me to say it's a forfeit, I can say it's a forfeit. It wouldn't change my feeling on it. <laughs> the refs told, <laughs> held the public enemy's hands up. Yeah, yeah. They're still moving on. Mm-hmm. The other team doesn't show up, I guess, you know. Oh, trash on trash on trash. So we go to our 12th match, Diamond Dallas Page and the Barbarian versus the Booty Man and Rick Steiner with the Booty Babe in another second round lethal lottery match. Yep, DDP uh, wastes no time in yelling at Kimberly, Absolutely. the Booty Babe. So the Booty Man attacks, knocking him out to the floor where he gets tangled up in some cables. Uh-oh. <gasps> The booty man falls out to use the cable to choke Page before tossing him back in, where Steiner enters to hit a back body drop for a two count before going for a ten count of punches in the corner, only for DDP to hot shot Rick onto the turnbuckle. The Barbarian makes his way in to trade kicks, clotheslines, and suplexes with Steiner when Barbarian responds with a powerbomb for a near fall. Rick attempts to make his way to the corner for a tag, only for Page to run in and distract the ref allowing the Barbarian to toss Steiner over the ropes to the floor. Is this like the best Barbarian has looked? I was, a very, I was kind I was of, thinking Im- that on the I was show, kind right? of impressed with him. Like he physically kind of was like leaner and a little meaner and a little quicker. And uh, maybe he's just like, fuck, I'd really like to uh, continue to work. So maybe I'll try to impress. I want to go back to being a head shrinker. So I got to look good here. So they want me back. <laughs> DDP would attack Rick on the floor with kicks before tossing him back in for the Barbarian to continue the onslaught 
with an avalanche splash in the corner and a clothesline. Barbarian charges in for another clothesline, but Steiner catches him and hotshots him across the top rope, allowing him to make the tag, with Booty Man delivering a jumping knee to the back of the Barbarian for the pin, and no, DDP makes the save. And Rick runs in to ward off Paige, but it forces the ref to occupy himself with getting Steiner back to his corner, while Booty Man goes for an O'Connor roll on Barbarian. And DDP uses the opening to run in to drop an elbow on Booty Man, allowing Barbarian to make the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. So Diamond Dallas Page and the Barbarian advance to the Battle Bowl. Maybe the weakest finish of this thing. But it's fitting that it happens on a little Booty Man. Yeah, but it's also the last match of round. Yeah, two. this was the last of round yeah, two. So it's like, uh, I mean, you know, we all know what's going on here. Post match, DDP gives himself a self high five, uh, saying he did it all by himself. He didn't make the pin, but he knocked Booty Man down so that Barbarian. Could yeah, him. yeah, but that's not all by yourself. But he is. Well, I mean, kind of it is. We go to our thirteenth <laughs> match, Jushin. Thunder, Liger, with Sonny Ono, versus Conan for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Oh my gosh, and you know what they did that was so intelligent here? They had Mike Tanay come out and uh, put Dusty out to pasture for the moment. because yeah, Dusty's headed to the back mm-hmm. to find out what's going on with Savage. Yeah. So as you said, today joins. Which we, know, we need Tanay here. And last time we saw Liger was at Wrestling World 96, episode 181. And Tanay talks about how important it is to Conan that the pay-per-view is airing in Mexico for the first time. While Heenan just makes fun of his outfit and his haircut. Yeah, the hair... It's bad. Not good. It is explained. Oh, it is, but it still is it's a still good K's. explanation. It's still... <laughs> It really is 3K. Yeah. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's all I could see. Pretty wild. Because, yeah, like, it's not even super if, noticeable. Even if one two of, of the Ks are backwards. Even if two mm-hmm. of them are backwards, it's still 3Ks. Yeah. you got to just, maybe a, a K-Dog. I don't know. But, yeah, you can't. Just, just one. Just the K on the back mm-hmm. or the two on the sides. But you don't need all three. I don't know. In Mexico, how much do they know about the KKK? But, um, you know, who knows? The... If they come to America, they find out real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I do love the um, his big poncho and his mask is like barely a mask. It's like just as got got exposes just as much of his face, but has more holes than a Vader mask. It's very funny. Yeah. So they trade holds and unique pen attempts until Jushin hits a somersault senton, causing Conan to roll out to regroup, only for Sony. To get a few kicks in. Followed by Liger nailing a baseball slide. And a slingshot crossbody. Woo. Back in the ring Jushin delivers a brain buster. For a two count. Before applying a cross arm breaker. Only for Conan to transition into a modified STF. Followed by Liger reversing it into a camel clutch. And a bow and arrow. And this is when Peter Griffin makes an appearance. Just watch the crowd folks. You'll see. <laughs> you can't miss them. They make it back to their feet and begin trading rapid palm strikes when Jusha nails a kapoo kick before hitting a superplex and a flying splash for a near fall. 
I love that Mike Tanay says Jushin Liger. We you wouldn't you might not think about it, but he idolizes Ric Flair and has recently started his own version of the Four Horsemen in Japan. I was like, who are those other three guys? I'm intrigued now. I am as well. Liger with a drop kick that sends Conan out to the floor, followed by Jushin flying off the top with a double axe handle, only for Conan to drop kicking in midair. Ooh, we'd love to see it. I mean, not necessarily to Liger, but I do love. The drop kick to somebody, uh, you know, splashing, salting, you know. Conan drags Liger to the apron and looks to bring him in the hard way, only for Jushin to float over and hit a German suplex and a fisherman buster for the pin. And no, Conan kicks out. Liger with the turnbuckle smash and he goes to whip Conan, but he's reversed. So Jushin attempts to leap up and over a charging Conan. But he's caught and driven down with an Alabama slam with a jackknife pin for a two count. That thing's insane. Like, it's from his ankles, from, like, <laughs> top rope. And you're just like, what is that movie? Oh, Hulk Hogan to, like, Loki in the first Avengers movie? It's kind of like that, but, like, once. Okay. Just throws him down. Conan then goes for the power drop, which is a splash mountain bomb. But Liger reverses it into a sunset flip for a near fall. He then follows it up with a roll-up for a two-count. Jushin then nails a Liger bomb for the pin. And the, no, Conan kicks out. So Liger then body slams Conan and heads up top. But he leaps right into a pair of boots to the chin. And Conan then stumbles his way into a power drop for the pin. And And the the win. The Liger bomb, he didn't do the full leg coverage. So it's kind of an out there, but like no, like nobody watching this pay per view probably notices or cares. But I, I mean, they mentioned it. They did mention it, but like I don't think that anybody really. I mean, the kids are chanting for Conan because he's cool and he's strong, and, and he's they been, know who he is. And you know, they know who he is. But like everyone's pretty cold on what is a obviously a so- solid and interesting match, and Mike Tanay is doing his damn job because. Uh, well, he's good at it. Absolutely. So we go to the walkway, and Mean Gene brings out Flair. Arn, Woman, and Elizabeth all come out as well. And the Nature Boy says, let me give you a capsule synopsis of what's going on. Oof. Yeesh. Is, was he partying with Hawk? It's very possible. So they locked up Savage because these ones flew over the cuckoo's nest before mocking Macho and kissing Liz's arm. And Nate promises to have a pajama lingerie party with the ladies, even inviting Okerlund to join him. Flair then turns his attention to Steve McMichael, claiming he had had his wife in his back pocket, which of course brings out Mongo to threaten the Nature Boy. If Mongo doesn't have his little dog, it might get physical. Anderson gets between them while Nate continues to egg on McMichael, even daring him to get one of his old teammates to face him in a tag match. And he even starts naming a bunch of them, purposely leaving out the fridge William Perry, because I'm sure that's what they wanted everyone to think. That's yeah. where, they're, where they were going with this. Mm-hmm. He's not doing that. But Mongo asks if he can get anybody. Well, Flair answering yes. And Michael says he, said he saw this coming, so he already has someone. It's Kevin Green. The Nature Boy yells out, I said retired players, as security comes out to separate everyone. 
And after the horseman entourage backs away, Mean Gene interviews Mongo and Green, with Kevin telling Nate to put his jock on because he wants to rock and roll. Yeah, it's very like cameras right behind like Mongo and uh, Kevin Green. Yeah, Kevin and Green's rat the, tail. Yeah, Kevin Green's rat tail, incredibly thin. Yeah, incredibly long, yeah. directly in the middle of his head. That's but his hair is not even like tight. It's like the Michael Douglas no, like, like a two on. inches back. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> two inches. Yeah, and Kevin Green, Matt, you're know more about football than either of us. We've seen him before, right? We've seen him, We've seen him before. before, but it's yeah. been a long time. But was he one of he LT's guys, or was he one? Of... Actually, he was in WCW. He was. He was. We didn't see him. He was mentioned on the night. There was a Nitro we watched, and he was going to be the uh... enforcer the next night on the Clash of Champions. Ah, uh, okay. When Miss Elizabeth was going to be the secret weapon, yeah, and they told us on she'll be here tomorrow on Nitro. Yeah, Kevin Green was part of that as well. So Kevin Green's been around. part of WCW for a little bit because he actually that Clash of Champions was right after like the AFC Championship game, and they were going to the Super Bowl the That's next right. week or something like that. So it was kind of and he plays for the Panthers. He was with the Steelers, okay. played in the Super Bowl, and now he's he signed a, as a free agent. He went to the Panthers. And what's his position? I assume he's a linebacker. Linebacker. All right. He was a good player back in his day. Yeah. He's got a ring. Yeah. So we go to our 14th match. Battle Bowl, Battle Royal. You said that so happily. Our 14th match. (laughs) The final (laughs) round. So our participants are Scott Norton, Ice Train, Dirty Dick Slater with With Colonel Colonel Parker, Earl Robert Eaton, Johnny Grunge, Rocker Rock, Diamond Dallas Page, and The Barbarian. And the rules of the match are that you can eliminate anyone by throwing them over the top rope. By pin or by submission, but that's never said, and no one informs the commentators no. either. Yeah, no, no, they just say over the top rope. So fucking confusing. And isn't it? Is it Barbarian or Rick Steiner? Barbarian. The barbarian. Okay, for some reason I wrote down Rick Steiner, but well, you're I'm, wrong, I'm so. very wrong. Yeah, I'm just making sure. So the winner would get a Battle Bowl rink and a WCW title match. And I'm like looking at this. I'm like, who is gonna win this fucking match? Because it's a sea of nobodies and Diamond Dallas Page. Hmm. Wonder if that telegraphs it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Dusty's back for this match as well. Sad to see you go, Mike. I mean, yeah, Mike's Mike's better served for wrestling matches. Yeah. Yes. And everybody starts brawling. Norton hits a clothesline on Grunge. Rocco flies off the top rope with a crossbody under the Barbarian, only to be caught. Slater gets DDP over the ropes, but he stays on the apron. Slater then hits a back elbow to Grunge, followed by Ice Train hitting a back elbow on Dirty Dick. Norton with headbutts to Eaton and Rock, while Barbarian delivers a big boot to Page, sending him over the ropes, only to hold on, with Tony seeing that his feet did touch the floor. Uh, at least but, one of them did. But the ref, who's in the ring, doesn't. I mean... Because there's pins and submissions. That's the reason why the ref's in the rink. Yeah, and also, you can have two refs. But they didn't have one on the outside at all. They absolutely did not. Norton then hits a headbutt to Rocco, who falls over into a headbutt to DDP's DD Privates, while the Barbarian has Eaton struggling atop the ropes. Ice train with a body slam of Slater and Rocco, but Grunge makes the save with an eye poke. We then go to split screen 
that the dream calls dual deals. Very funny. see Rocco charge at the Barbarian, only to be back body dropped over to the floor. You got dual deals here. You got a TV, and then you got two TVs inside the TV. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, my God. And Rocco Rock has been eliminated. <laughs> Woo! Ice train with mounted punches of grunge, while Eaton is holding Norton for a boot shot from Slater. But Scott moves, causing Earl Robert to take the blow, sending him over the ropes to the floor. Damn it. Aw, we Earl, like him. Robert Eaton is eliminated. He's probably our favorite one. Colonel Parker starts yelling at Earl Robert, slapping him. Fuck you. But Eaton starts fighting back. Slater's all of a sudden there with an announcement that he has been eliminated. And I think Norton tossed him out because Dirty Dick jumps back on the apron to go after him. Yeah. Which gives DDP the opportunity to back body drop Norton over to the floor. So Scott Norton's eliminated as well. Yeah, I uh, rewound that a couple times too and I was like, okay, through context clues, I understand. Ice train with a power slam party. Hitting one on Page, Barbarian, and Grunge. I mean, he's looking big, looking good. Before teaming up with Barbarian for a double big boot to Johnny. Ice then turns on Barbarian with a clothesline, sending him right into DDP for a diamond cutter. Ice Train goes to pick up Grunge, only to receive a low blow, followed by Page hitting a diamond cutter on him. DDP continues with a diamond cutter on Grunge, making a cover for the pin to eliminate Johnny. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, you could have told me. Paige then rolls on top of Ice Train for a pin to eliminate him before trying for a pin on the Barbarian, only for a two count. And honestly, maybe even Barbarian should have won this thing, because... DDP starts to argue with their ref, shoving him, only for Nick Patrick to just shove right back. And DDP sells it. He takes a pretty good bump for the ref push. Which gives Barbarian time to recover, and now a lariat. For a near fall. The Barbarian charges into a big boot in the corner, with Paige going for a pin with leverage, but the ref catches him. Now DDP charges into a corner of his own, but the Barbarian moves, allowing him to roll up Paige for a two count. Follows up with a tombstone pile driver for a near fall. And it literally felt like he just dropped him straight on. Like he didn't he didn't drop to his knees. He like dropped DDP on his It's head. also like a close up. I rewound that a few times too. And it's just like so like so just like it's either perfect or he almost killed the man. So like it's that like tight where it's just like ah Yeah. And it's also a close up. Like you can't miss it. It's they're zoomed in on this shit. Barbarian then locks on a sleeper. Only for DDP to escape with a mule kick down low. But then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Barbarian to nail a powerbomb for the pin. And no, Paige kicks out. The Barbarian then heads up top for a flying headbutt, only to miss. So DDP capitalizes with a diamond cutter for the pin and, and the win. And Lord of the first ring. only. <laughs> So Paige is the Lord of the Ring, as the ref gives him the Battle Bowl ring, and he will receive a title shot in the future. But he never does, as WCW officials would review the tape and realize that his feet touched the floor. Ew. They would let him keep the ring, but strip him of the title opportunity. Which means that WCW just dedicated a whole pay-per-view to the Battle Bowl just to render it pointless. Yes, just to like try to make him 
a heal, but then also give him his just desserts so he doesn't have the heat anymore. Just, you could work that as heat, and DDP can be a decent heal, as we've seen for the last year and a half or more. And he could also, because he was, like, destitute, you know, they keep putting over that he was homeless or whatever, even if he wins via some cheating, if he starts getting clean wins... He has the charisma to possibly eventually be cheered. And they just threw this in the trash for it to happen five years later. Where's this benefactor at that he had that got him his Four job back later. in the first place? Can the benefactor not just throw money at it to make it go away? The benefactor, uh. yeah. The problem is, is one guy's paying for everything and the other guy doesn't know anything about wrestling. Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff. So Mean Gene's in the locker room with the Giant and Jimmy Hart. And Oakland says Jimmy is nervous because he will be handcuffed to Lex Luger on the outside of the ring. Even insinuating that he has peed his pants. Uh, he's going to go pee-pee. Mean Gene then turns to Giant to ask about Sting, with him saying that the Stinger has been on top before, but he's the king of the hill now. And the Giant continues by saying Sting is a thorn in his side. A rat under his bed, and a cockroach in his apple pie. Mm. At least he's not rhyming? Yeah. So the giant then threatens to exterminate everyone, when Okerlund also asks about DDP, which is just absurd since they know the match will never happen. Maybe they might not know it right now. Oh, I'm sure they do. Mm. It's so crazy, because I'm so upset. I'm like, well, DDP's got to be the guy that wins this. And it's for nothing? Absolutely nothing. I can see if they abandon it, but not abandon it like that. Um, let me spell it out for you. I it's know. called WCW. Yeah, I yep. mean, come on. Yeah, here, it's, here not that's too more, long, there's yeah. going to be three letters that are going to outshine everything oh, else. Oh, so I know, I know. Even if he had a shot, it wouldn't have gone anywhere in the first place. It's all right, he gets his. I had a DDP shirt uh, from uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Yeah. Hey. This is the slow build. He gave himself a self high five. That's right. He's going to have. What else does he have? (laughs) So we go to our 15th match Sting with Lex Luger versus the Giant with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And before we go on, can I ask a question? Yes. Has Sting really been a five time champion? They say five time. I think they say three and then they say no five. And I'm like, three sounds more believable. But five, I'm like... Yeah, because at one point they were saying if he wins, this would be a sixth. Yeah, and it's like, damn. I guess it feels like Sting never gets his. But when he does get his, I guess he just loses it immediately. It's like, you know, when they the first everybody's first run is short, but kind of like a test run whenever they give him the belt. It seems like all of Sting's runs have been test runs. Yeah, because he's, he's never been a dominant Flair, champion. Beat Flair, beat Luger. Which kind of makes him the ultimate baby face, I Did guess. Did he beat Vader? Sting is, overall, he's a six-time six champion, but he was only champion for 250 days. Crazy. Damn. Ultimate baby face. It's because he didn't need that belt. He didn't. The belt needed him. He Yeah, he doesn't, but like, yeah. So he's actually, he's tied with Hogan for... WCW? For in number of reigns. Flair still holds the record with eight. Has anybody below Flair, but above... Hogan and Sting? Nope. Flair 8, Hogan and Sting at 6, Booker and Nash at 
five, Jarrett and Savage at four. And we'll, and uh, and I'm just gonna point something out. It's '96. Company folds in 2000, and a lot of those guys have not been champion at all. Hot potato. Let's see here. Sting, Super Brawl two, beating Luger. House show beating Vader. I guess maybe that's why it's like maybe Sting won on some house shows. Not even counting the NWA title. Oh, this is just WCW. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like he beat Flair before he beat Luger, but that was before WCW. Eighty nine. Because Sting's next title isn't until '97. That's his third one. So yeah, that's including the NWA. Okay. It's only this list I'm looking at. It's just WCW. Yeah, no, I was just curious because I was like, that doesn't sound right. So as they walk out, the graphic on the TVs that make up the the stage area. Mm-hmm. Did you read what it said? Mm-hmm. Did I read what it said? What said it U.S. Say? title. Match. Oh, I did not catch that. So the hits keep on coming from this production crew. Uh, remember when they spent, spelled Ric Flair wrong? Yeah. Michael Buffer does the introductions, saying Sting is the man known as Sting. It's the man called Sting. It's in his fucking song. Mr. Michael. God. And Giant hails from the part of the world unknown to man. <laughs> it's parts unknown. Parts, part of the world unknown to man. It's like... The, the the Mariana Trench. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out why the giant is even from parts unknown. If he's Andre the Giant's son, who is from France. Yes. You know, it's not like he's some mm-hmm. but descend, but... descendant of a man from France, now hailing in the United States of America. Too big to be contained by any one state. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But Buffer does manage to not botch his own catchphrase. So let's get ready to. Be handcuffed. I do like that the giant had like a very Taker-esque intro. Green lights instead of purple. Well, they've dropped the lights for him. Dun, Give dun, it a nice shake. A doom. So they start by running the ropes when the stinger goes for a crossbody. And he just bounces off of the giant. And my god, does it look great. Sting then gets in the giant's face only to be shoved off. So the stinger comes right back with a running double axe handle before leaping onto the back of the giant and applying a sleeper. And the crowd is alive again because they have a match. The giant escapes by backing into a corner, but Sting keeps up the attack with drop kicks and clotheslines that do nothing. The Stinger goes out to the floor to regroup, with Luger there to give him some advice. So when he returns to the ring, Sting hits an enziguri, but he's then shoved off into the corner where the giant charges in with a back elbow, only for the Stinger to move in time. Sting tries for a body slam, but it's too much, and the giant just falls on top of him for a two count. It was so good that I was nervous. I was like, the match is already over. You got, we can't do this, but he fell on top, and I was like, Sting actually kicked out. Oh, look at Sting going for a Hogan move, uh-huh. trying to slam a giant and then having him fall on top of him instead. I mean, maybe that was, yeah, maybe that was the wrong choice. <laughs> The giant responds by stepping on the stinger, hitting elbow drops, clubbing blows, and headbutts to the midsection, before locking on a body scissors to wear down Sting, even using the ropes for leverage until the ref catches him. The giant then tosses the stinger out to the floor. He falls out to throw him down the aisleway, where there just so happens to be a table set up. Hmm, weird. And the giant gets his hand around Sting's throat, 
lifts him up for a choke slam, but Luger has oh, no. Jimmy Hart placed on the oh, table. No. And it's so funny because like, how did they not see that already? And the, it's so funny because like, there's the walkway, and then they it's like they were just like, okay, well, we'll do a little cutout. It's, in like, the... it's like Legos. It's like okay, well, I'm gonna make this little inlet. Uh, and they just did that, and the table isn't just even a table. It's a table with, like, a black tablecloth that, like, goes down to the floor on it, and it's just, like, entirely too convenient. It's very silly. But the giant sees Hart on the table, so he doesn't do it. Let's him go. And instead just returns to the ring. The stinger makes it to the apron, where the giant hits some more clubbing blows. Backs up to hit a running drop kick. Only for Lex to pull Sting out of the way in time. That was kind of nice. It was. It was sweet. The Stinger makes it back to his feet on the apron when the ref goes to check on him. And Sting thinks it's the giant, so he back elbows him away. Oh, no. no. I mean, that's a pretty solid ref bump. Oh, yeah. The giant charges at the Stinger with a crossbody in the corner, but Sting moves, leaving the giant atop the turnbuckle. Giving the Stinger the opportunity to hit multiple kicks... And a stinger splash. I mean, this is pretty fucking good. For what it is, it's really pretty good. I'm into this match. Sting continues with right hands when Hart and Luger have climbed up to the apron, where the giant grabs Lex by the throat, but he gets hit beat from behind with several stinger splashes. Beautiful. And Sting finally is able to kick the giant away, allowing Luger to be free from the giant's grasp. But it leaves Jimmy atop the turnbuckles. And the steer notices, and he attempts a splash on him. Only for Hart to fall. Or maybe Lex pulled him down. It's beautifully... We don't know. ...put together. This has shades of, like, the mega powers, almost. It's not obviously that good, but it's like, there's the question that doesn't feel obvious. But it causes Steen to crash and burn. And he stumbles his way into a headbutt to the giant's beanstalk. <laughs> the ref's back in the ring now when the stinger heads up top for a flying splash for the pin. And no, no the giant shoves Sting off of him, causing him to land on Randy Anderson for another ref bump. bump. The stinger heads up top again for another flying splash. He then applies the scorpion deathlock when Jimmy is back on the apron with megaphone in hand. And Luger stops him and begins to fight with Jimmy over the megaphone. megaphone. When Lex pulls it out of Hart's hands, only to hit Sting in the process. Oh my god damn it. The giant then grabs the Stinger, nailing a choke slam for the pin. And, and the win. win. And the commentators argue about if Luger did it on purpose or not. While Tony says his goodbyes, and the credits roll. Lex, you dumb, dumb dill hole. <laughs> Fucked it all up. But, I mean, guys. All you had to do was pull the handcuffs and just pull Jimmy off the apron, just like you pulled him off the top turnbuckle. If WCW Twitter. had, like, shorter in-your-house-style shows. Clash of Champions? Yes, but ones that were like pay-per-view. <laughs> ones that we cover more often. Yeah. And this was the headline match with the other two title matches. And maybe like a real tag team match or two. Would have been very nice. Yeah. 
Because I think that the last match is honestly really good. And I think that it's crazy that the giant has just fucking been sucking pond water since he showed up. And then Sting, of all people, goes in there and this is this is what the babyface and a monster match should look like. And then Jimmy Hart and Lex just kind of help, essentially help the shortcomings of Paul White. See? I don't know. I was excited about it, especially after all those matches that were boring. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Slamboree 96? It's a bad show. <laughs> It's a bad show with three, like, good matches. Like, you seem to be the most positive one talking about it this whole I know, time. But and the thing is, the finishes are, like, better to start for the tag tournament thing. And it's obviously, they actually talked about it a little bit. But the problem is that you get to that, that battle royal, and DDP's the biggest, like... There's nobody there. There's no Ric Flair. There's no, like, Macho Man. There's no Steiner brothers. Like, in the Battle Royal, DDP is the obvious person that has to win. And then Matt informed me that nothing happens of it. But, like, if DDP won and those other guys were in the match, if Rick Steiner clotheslines the shit out of Ric Flair and he flops to the floor... Believable. Neither Ric Flair doesn't lose anything from that. Hmm. But if when you are kind of hoping that Barbarian but none of those wins, guys need to win this too. No, to they get don't. A title shot. But that's the problem uh, as well. It's like, well, somebody, somebody's got to do it. It's I guess that thing we talked about recently with WCW is there's not enough. The roster is not deep enough, obviously, and they're starting to. There's people like. Benoit and Guerrero, they have Conan here at the moment. Liger is jumping in, but like, no one's ever going to give a shit about the Barbarian, even if he may have been the most surprising thing on the show. I would agree with the bulk of all that. Didn't care for the show. It had its few highlights in the singles matches or the title matches. The Lethal Lottery was just... Uh, maybe it will... Maybe it will it will ignite some new feuds down the line. I can't remember, but the bulk of these matches were just trash. There's also 15 like matches on the show. Yeah. Like had we watched this show a year prior and a lot of the the things stayed the same here, I would have really have preferred to see this be like the Bobby Eaton story finally. But when you've got Bobby Eaton who is, you know, a badass in the ring doing a a British gimmick you know that he's not gonna win Bob Eaton's kind of like the Arn Anderson without the size where it's like yeah everybody agrees that he's one of the best to do it but he doesn't have like he's too yeah. nice and doesn't have the size or charisma Arn is the enforcer because Arn looks Jim like Cornette the back to it and... I mean you know <laughs> we all know yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all know that uh, if Jim's going to do, Jim's always going to do good work, but uh, what would he not do for Bobby? He'd do anything and everything for Bobby if he could. 
Of 15 matches, one-fifth of this show. Am I doing my math right? Probably. One-fifth, yeah. Are worth watching. The rest are just shit. A bizarre curiosity. I just think that the fact that it was at least kind of thought about... No they put how some bad thought it into it, but then at the end, they put absolutely no thought into it because they made the show just a nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the other Lethal Lottery was so much worse. But it had a winner. It's true. It did have a winner. It did. <laughs> and this had a winner, too. Kind of. You, uh, he, he has a ring. Yeah. He, has, he has the same amount of stuff that every other person that won a Battle Bowl has. Did they not get a yeah. title shot on the no. other ones? Okay. They just no, won no, a ring. No. But yeah, it, so but it is better, but it's not that much better. It's like the first one should have been this, and the second one should have never fucking happened. Mm. But instead, the first one was so bad that the second one is. I think I would have hated oh, it less had they not thrown in the whole Lord of the Ring thing. It's just, it a, it's yeah. just a name. Hey, who cares? Let me feel what I feel. <laughs> it's feel, fine. You can feel it. For sure. So uh, <laughs> it definitely sounds like I like this show the best out of everybody. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I actually think it's a pretty fun and entertaining show. The literally none of the Lethal Lottery matches go more than like seven minutes. They are quick. I, actually actually I think the longest Lethal Lottery match was like was just over five minutes long. Yeah, I think that it outstays its the, welcome. That I I mean they probably could have cut it down to. They probably could have cut a couple of the first round matchups out and just had six, you know, and had like two or three people just automatically be in the battle. Whatever. It doesn't matter. If I hadn't told you about the DDP, about thing, the DDP thing, I wouldn't have been as upset. Exactly. That's, that's the point where like I was, I was fine with the show. I actually enjoyed the show. It was much easier for me to and then, watch than it was when we started talking about it. And I was like, it keeps going. But I did take it down while watching it a lot easier and i was like okay i didn't love that but the finish made sense or there's something going on with the opposing members of tag teams or guys that are on the same tag team on the other side or feuding and most of the finishes were at least thought out to some extent exactly uh so i did it was an easy pill to swallow but I mean, revisiting literally, it, was literally not the very only schmoz ending was the DDP having his foot under the ropes. That's, that's the only. Yeah. That's the only schmoz ending on this entire show. Yeah, the DQ made sense because of the heat, and it was the first thing. Yeah. Once I found out about the DDP thing, it made me mad that like literally we're having this entire show for really no purpose. But I took that step back and went. But I did enjoy the show. These are, they, they were fun and entertaining. Nothing overstays its welcome. Absolutely nothing does. It is a. It is more than one step up from the last lottery. I mean, I will take Just, this. I will take this show over uncensored. Can't even remember uncensored. It's horrible. <laughs> it was a horrible show. I'll take this show over Bunkhouse Stampede. Yeah, I mean, if you'll take you. You would might take AIDS over Bunkhouse Stampede. I mean, yeah. I mean it's obviously. See, I a think, morbid joke, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, we know how I'll much I'll take you this hate show over. I hate this show. The, because... the Tower of Doom batch was uncensored. Oh, that's the only thing I remembered from it. 
I mean, everything else was bad on the show too. I believe um, you completely because, but that was. I mean, I guess you had the Regal Belfast Bruiser yes, match. I was a little that higher a, on that, had that, a, show. that had a horrible ending. It did. Which yes, you were higher on that ma- on that show than I was. That is true. But but it was mostly because of that match. But like literally, the there was match. only five matches on that show, and everything went so long. five minutes too long. Mm-hmm. And what did I say during that show? What did I say? There was five matches on the main event, and I was uh-huh. like, you literally cut. Four minutes off of every single match, and you add those main event matches in, which would have given it ten matches, uh-huh. ten to ten to twelve matches. I don't remember exactly the the amount. It would have been more matches, but the show would have moved. Moved. Yeah, this show does. That's move. the thing about this show. It moves. I will say that it is like it wasn't. It wasn't a difficult pill to swallow, and I think it ended extremely strong. If you didn't like something, wait wait three minutes, and you're on to the next thing. Yeah, literally. And I feel like Flair Savage, that whole storyline is built is built up some more. We got this Mongo whole thing because that's yeah. that's our main event for Great American Bash because you know Hogan's not around still. Yeah. So we got to do something. Like yes, the DDP thing is upsetting. Yeah. Because I'll admit it, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of DDP, and I'll continue to be a huge fan of DDP. And so that finding this out, but also knowing that, okay, so DDP was going to go up against the Giant, the, yeah, the Sting, Luger, Luger yeah. Hogan, Flair. Like at this point in his career, it didn't matter. He was going to lose that match. That's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, but it's one of those things where I'm like, ah. I, wish they, like hadn't, I wish they hadn't. I wish they hadn't. I wish they would have. Wish they would have just let him have his title match over on a WCW Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Let him have a. 10-minute match as the main event on WCW Saturday Night and just be done with it so they could say they did it. And they didn't, yeah. which is upsetting. But at the end at the end of the day, I don't think anything really changed what was going to happen. Yeah. Because I think at this point, Eric Bischoff is sitting in the back going, okay, I got these two guys coming in after Great American Bash and we're going to start this huge storyline. And from now until then... We're just waiting water. What do we do to kind of just keep people watching the show? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good good point of view. I did think it was easier to watch than it was to talk through because there's so many matches. And I'm like, again, I know where it ends up. But it wasn't... I keep saying it, and I'll say it over and over again. It wasn't the first one where nobody knew what they were doing or had any familiarity with like their uh, teammate the, or their opponent. On the first one, British Bulldog is in one of the lottery matches and he never gets in the ring. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying like that's how much better this is. But I wouldn't be like, guys, you got to see this. Although there's three matches that I think are worth your time if you have any invested interest in any of those three people or any of those six people but i wouldn't be like guys believe it or not this show's pretty um yeah if you got two and a half it's not it's not going to be on the top of the list of shows that i recommend no absolutely not but but i'm never gonna yeah if someone were like is that a fun show to watch it's not bad you could eat a sandwich to this yeah Uh, you'll have a fun time with it Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. It's time for us to smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? 
Steiner versus Steiner. That is a great moment. It's great. It's wonderful. The fact that they like totally went in on each other, but neither guy uh, went for any cheap shit, mm-hmm. uh, was wonderful and true to them, the characters, uh, to the Steiner brothers. Teddy Long's back, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting that. Teddy Long came back. So you mentioned earlier, uh, maybe there were some feuds that came out of the show. Mm-hmm. Actually, one that does kind of start because of the show is the Taskmaster and Benoit. That whole I couldn't remember if they were that whole feud kind of starts. It didn't get quite to the level that it that we know that it gets to, but it does. It has its seeds. Seeds are laid in this match, definitely. I mean, Duggan and Wall Street. I'm sure if I was watching WCW Saturday Night every week... It might have meant more. I probably would enjoy their... But, like, both of them are just, like, trying to screw over the other. And I'm just like, hey, guys, um, you know, there's a title shot on the line. That's that's probably disappointing. Yeah. (laughs) They both played their well. I'm going through the matches I was going to say, they both played their role well, where, like, it's the most fire I've seen out of Duggan was him interacting with... Uh, with VK, <laughs> I mean the tape was incredible. That's a gif I've ever seen one. And then uh, VK felt uh, whenever he was interacting with Duggan felt a little bit more immediate than uh, he has in a while. You're gonna see that tape a little more. I'm sure I will. Put it on the end of a two by four. Probably. It's the USA yo-yo. <laughs> I don't know if this is the best moment or it should be a most disappointing that WCW didn't realize that they put Eaton and Eaton Dick. On I mean, a team. In- incredible, incredible of you. And, incredible um, work, Matthew. Also, they probably saw this one, but Alex Wright and Disco Inferno being on a team because they're, the, they're the dancing guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do end up as a tag team later on. This is the first time they've ever tagged together, and they're not together at this point. But my, my assumption was that this, at some this point, was like they a do test become run. A, they do that. actually become a tag team yeah. later on. Guerrero. He looked... I think we mentioned this the last time at World War Three because he was basically there with Flair and Arn. Yeah. In that, like, he looked just as much of a star mm-hmm. as the other two guys. He fits right in. He gets his shit in, and See, he just kind of like when sneaks. His and Flair's feud really kicks off. Yeah. He kind of sneaks in, and it's like, oh damn, this guy's really good. But then by the time the show's over, you're like, oh yeah, Eddie Guerrero was on the show. But like, when he's on the screen, it's like a magic trick. And then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't shine he doesn't, the way he should. Just he doesn't yet. get a chance to do anything memorable, but he does everything well. And as I usually do, I'm going to give flowers to Arn Anderson because literally his entire role in that entire match was to protect Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. He does it better than anybody because he's the enforcer. Mm-hmm. This is where he gets his name. He literally that's why Flair forces Guerrero to tag in Arn so Arn could come in yeah. and beat up on Savage. No, I mean Arn's uh, like character work here is great. He is the you know the the, bar- the bodyguard that's also your like brother or cousin. Where he's like, well, I'm not Ric Flair. I'm not built that way, but I can, yeah, but I can hold my uh, own with uh, anybody. I'll let you guys talk for a minute because I've just been spouting off good best moments. Uh, like I said, I like this. I like this. Show. I don't know who put together the last match. But they deserve fucking a high five. I mean, Sting, Sting in super heavyweight matches. That's where he shines. He fucking killed it. And, like, the Giant didn't make any crazy mistakes. It was legitimately just 
smooth as butter for like what it was and the Lex and Jimmy Hart stuff was all great. The only like kind of the only thing I didn't like about the match, which is just one of those things where I'm like, oh well that's goofy, but I got over it. It didn't bother me too much, was the little weird like table inlet thing where it's like, oh Yeah. But like yeah. but like that doesn't bother me at all considering how solid the rest of it. The finish was great. Sting doesn't look bad. And then I referenced the idea that the Sting and Lex has like slight mega power vibes and it'll of course never be done that well because nothing ever has in American wrestling as far as like the er, the cable era goes anyway and and this had shades of that that were intriguing and I mean Sting taking that crossbody bump off of Paul White and him just fucking standing yeah. strong looks awesome and then he gets that sleeper on and i was excited i was like this is fucking this is this is uh american american professional wrestling and i was very into that last match from beginning to end mm-hmm. knowing that sting wasn't gonna win because i knew paul white has to hold his belt until hogan comes back and if that's not the case i will be extremely surprised and maybe even elated who knows but uh sting holding his own and the luger and Hart didn't fuck up everybody was very present and in the right place at the right time for that match bobby eaton punching colonel parker i like that it had a just an old school bobby eaton feel to it yeah i did so what match was better malenko and Armstrong or Conan and Liger? Conan and Liger. Conan and Liger was, yeah, yeah it was better. But so, it's so weird. The crowd were so ice cold for those matches. And they got. They just don't know those. People. I know, they just don't know. But they got cold for some of the later tag matches too. But they're probably like, well, I've already I seen mean, this guy. Probably oh, yeah. at the show, they're probably worn down because there is 15 matches on the show. Yeah. Like, I totally get where you guys are coming from with mm-hmm. the 15. I totally get it. But I had fun with the show. Chives. That was my other oh. best moment. Chives. I mean, Mike Tanay always Mike gets Tanay. a shout out. Mike Tanay gets Mike a shout out. How about most disappointing? I mean, obviously, you guys have just said, you know, there's 15 matches. Like I said, I, I can understand why that can be an yeah, issue. Yeah. It's not wrestling classic where it's just like, ah. Oh. This is right. nice. It feels Match good. number one, extremely disappointing. I'm disappointed that the Road Warriors never faced each other mm-hmm. in that first match. Hawk barely did shit, so... Well, that's uh, Hawk for you. He's, you know, and the reason... Man, I didn't mention this, but the reason they he, he left is because the Steiners came in, and the Steiners were being paid more. Uh, so he left over money. He was like... We're the fucking Road Warriors. We should be paid. Yeah, yeah man, the Road Warriors. Yeah, but you can't. Years. But you that's, can't. That's exactly. It's like. But you know who doesn't show up fucked up to work? Rick Steiner. Yeah. And if he did, he handled his shit. He'd work his way through and just keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. First match was an extreme disappointment. Anything involving Booty Man is always a disappointment. Absolutely. We didn't give flowers to Barbarian. I mean, you kind of did. I kind of did, yeah. During the show, but best Bar- moment. Barbarian. Barbarian was great Yeah, in the show. I mean, it's helping DDP move along, but disappointing. I, I mean, we've said it, but them taking away the title shot from DDP is yeah. a disappointing thing. But yeah. in the long run, we know that it doesn't really matter. 
And even here, it doesn't really matter because it's like, well, I guess DDP, but like you pointed out, Macho and Rick, they're doing a thing. And who else? So it's like the king of the ring, lord of the ring, battle royal thing, battle royal thing should be building somebody. And you know what would you know who would have won that if he didn't go to WWF? Is Johnny B. Bad would have won that thing. Your two newest tag teams. I don't think you don't think so? No. Really? Your two newest tag teams basically get a free ride to the final. Which yeah. I understand wanting to showcase them because showcase they're them. new, yeah. but I think Fire and Ice Luke have been working with them. pretty good and like they're big guys, but they don't have a lot of personality. They kind of can do the moves, but they don't have. They're called Fire and Ice, and it's like, well, Fire and Ice is a way to describe the Steiner brothers, and these guys aren't the Steiner brothers. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the one that like, Ice they, seems to yeah. have some real fire behind them, uh-huh. and then Fire is just kind of. Stone cold. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, <laughs> fire and ice. It's like, oh, well, fucking Scott Steiner is ice and, and Rick Steiner is fire. And that's what it is. Enemy. Yeah. I, I did have to it? laugh, though, when I heard their music again because I forgot they did a a play off of Here Comes the Hot Stepper in a way with their whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The VK Wall Street song was. Uh, da, 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 da. It was very. Um, uh, Aerosmith riff, but I can't remember what song it was. But it was like, oh, that's just an Aerosmith riff in a different key. Best performer of the night. <laughs> it's difficult because it's like, well, Liger, Conan, great. Malenko, great. Barbarian, really surprising. And, I'm giving it to Sting. And then I'm giving it to Sting. Like, that's the answer. Yeah. It's like, well, it's Sting because Man, it's, it's Sting, Sting did some of the best work that he's done with somebody that is yeah. less... Like that is not as good as he is because you know he had those matches with Rick and it's either Sting or the Steiners. Sting made the it's Sting. It's the main event enjoyable. Sting bro. The, Sting the Steiners actually gave us a real few minutes of wrestling. If I got the Steiner screwdriver, show. I might have given it to Scott. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's definitely Sting. Like I couldn't believe. Like I was so afraid. Of that last match, not afraid, but like not looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, I was hooked in the first couple seconds, and that means a lot because we just came off of matches like that, a series of them with Diesel over and over again in WWF, and we have a guy that's like less experienced than fucking Kevin Nash and Sting, who's not Bret Hart, and they have a match that's just as or more compelling i would say more compelling yes he's not bret hart but he's not the ultimate warrior no no he's definitely not the <laughs> more he's no mabel they were just roommates how about most surprising the barbarian looked so good barbarian mm-hmm. looked great he also he was like lean buff and because he used to be puffy buff and uh and yeah he had some fire in him he was probably trying to get another job it's good to see brad armstrong back yeah it was i would expect to hear i mean i, I don't know if we yeah. ever see him again i wasn't that's, like that's kind of what yeah. i was like happy to see him but i wasn't like impressed i'm gonna throw in any strong way like it wasn't bad match number eight just because of those four people ending up in the ring together eddie arn flair savage yeah i mean what a, of the lethal what, lottery yeah. that was Eddie getting a rub. I know exactly. It's like it's like oh, obviously these guys are like oh yeah, we want that guy. 
because we know that he's kid that he can just whatever if we just whisper to him he'll do the thing in a situation where any of them could have been a booty man or a big bubba the fact that the four of them were in one match together was a nice surprise yeah and it could have been i guess benoit but it's like well he's part of the horseman already so you can't have three of the four even though there's probably only three because pillman's gone making their way to the ring it's trivia time oh shit this week the category is the champ is here So I'm going to give you the name of a show and a championship. You give me who the champ was at the end of that show. Five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. We'll buzz on in. So the show is Royal Rumble 93. Okay. And the championship is the WWF Championship. 93. Eight. Shane. I'll just say... Is it him or is it not him? Brett. That is correct. Ah, I was like, is it Brett or is it Yoko? I don't think it's Hogan. <laughs> I know it's not Hogan. Yeah, I had to think of my years and yeah. But it could have was... could it have been that second for like the Undertaker? No, because he only holds you know cups of coffee with it. No, because this was, was leading up to. WrestleMania 9? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yoko won. Yeah. Yep. Woo! Next week, In Your House 8, Beware of Dog. Ooh, who's the dog? Guess we'll Road. find out. Who's the dog? Is this where Road Dog makes his debut? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that or can't his be return, it. or... Who knows? <laughs> I mean, uh, I was as far as I know that the uh, Billy and Bart are still a tag team, even though they're. I mean, Road Dog can't make a return. No, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. I guess he's the roadie. He's not. He's not the dog. Ah, uh, bulldog. Beware of dog. Bulldog. That's that's the only dog I can think of, anyways. Uh, who moves around more than the British bulldog? Music from this week's show is Rollin' by First Calm Music, and Giant won our main event, so we play Dungeon of Doom by Jimmy Hart. Ooh. Like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, drink ideas, if you love this show, if you hated this show, if you're sick of hearing me bitch about this show... Slide into the DM. Send us an email. Something. Talk to me. Is it possible this is your favorite wrestling movie? That would be crazy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't diss on anybody for it. I mean, no, but depending. It's on a weird choice. Match, <laughs> weird choice. But I wouldn't diss on. Yeah, anybody. it's not. Uh... But you can do any of those things at a, on email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling h i s t o x. We'll talk to you next week. Later.